All right, let's pray and then we'll get started. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would awaken us, that you would speak to us your wonderful truths. Lord, that um, your word has a way of purifying us, Lord, and transforming us. We want to, Lord, leave this place, Lord, knowing you better than when we came in. So help us to see you in your glory and in your goodness and your mercies that are new every day to us, Lord. Lord, we do pray, Lord, for all our missionary friends all over the world, Lord, especially those that we get to see coming up next week. We lift them up to you, Lord, my friends and people that I invested in and discipled in India and Nepal, Lord, that this church partners with and under the tremendous persecution. We lift them up to you, Lord Jesus. Protect them. Keep them safe, Lord. Let no harm come their uh, their way, Lord, and with their families, Lord. Protect them, Lord. And uh, Nadim, who worked in Pakistan, Lord, and this is a great, precious work. Lord, we lift up to you him and his wife and their, his three kids, Lord. Protect them, Lord. There's always an attempt on his life, Lord, of some way. And, and uh, Lord, we know that you've intervened so many times, and we pray, keep them safe, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we pray for our text this morning, Lord, that we would see just your gracious hands of mercy, your heart that loves unconditionally. Thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 7, today we're going to look at a woman who touched the heart of Jesus. Throughout the scriptures, we have read about women who have touched the heart of God by what they did. If you remember the widow who put the, in the two copper coins in the temple treasury, this is all she had, Jesus said. And Jesus said these remarkable words, I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. And all these people have their gift out of their wealth, they have given out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So she touched the heart of Jesus. What a remarkable story. You know, all, you know, giving is so difficult to speak about, giving and tithing, and, uh, and, and it really is, and that's not my message, but I just want to give you a little glimpse of this. You know, when I was uh, a non-believer and visiting a church, man, I hated seeing the money go to the, the, to the pastors or to the church, and I was so hostile, you know. What, what do they want the money for? Trust God. You know, and so, uh, but now on the other side of the coin, whereas I'm, I, I understand what giving is, it's a spiritual matter. It's a life that's transformed, that wants to give all of their hearts and all that they have to the things of God. I understand that now, where I wasn't spiritual before. So to comprehend this woman giving everything that she owns is amazing to me how she had this great affection for God, a great love, and that she said, this is all I have, but I'm going to give it. That's amazing to me. She definitely touched the heart of God. Remember the woman who was overwhelmed by the love of Jesus and his great teaching, and she took out her little, her, you know, her little base of, you know, the way it was built was a long neck so they can break it off, and pour perfume, and she took this very expensive perfume 
and poured it all over Jesus. And of course we know it's expensive because of Judas and the others saying, why did she waste it? And of course Jesus said, no, she didn't waste it. She understands what giving's all about. And I love what he says. Listen, he says this, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be also told uh, in memory of her. She definitely touched the heart of Jesus. Mary, if you remember Mary and Martha, Martha met Jesus when Lazarus was dead and Martha cried out, if only you were here. And then he made his way to the hometown there and then Mary, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would, have died, would not have died. And when Jesus saw her, he had great compassion for her. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews also had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then in verse 35 it says, and Jesus wept. So Mary touched the heart of Jesus. All of them did something that touched the heart of God. But the lady that we're going to look at this morning touched the heart of Jesus without doing anything, without knowing who Jesus was, without asking Jesus to do anything, and yet she will touch the heart of God. I say all that to say this to you this morning. You may be touching the heart of God this very hour or this very day. Psalms 34 says this in verse 17. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them and he delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. You know, we think of the Lord being close to those who have great power, you know, like Moses who took his staff and opened up the sea. Yeah, the Lord is close to him. Or Elijah coming fire, causing fire to come down to the sacrifice. Oh, yeah, the Lord is close to him. But it says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Are you brokenhearted this morning? Are you crushed in spirit? Don't know your circumstance? Don't know your situation? But the Lord is close to you. And at this very moment, you may be touching the heart of God. It says in verse 19 of that Psalms, a righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. How many of you are in trouble? <laughs> this story comes from the story of David when he acted like a madman and, uh, because he was in dire strait. He had moved from uh, Israel being chased by Saul. He moved over to the area of Gath, the Philistine area. And he had moved there and the army captured him and he was before the king. And they go, oh, isn't this the guy that we hear the song going out that Saul's kills his thousand and this man kills his 10,000 and he's like, I'm dead. <laughs> They're going to kill me. And you talk about a guy that's in trouble and if God doesn't rescue him right now, he's dead. And so he calls upon the Lord and so he, he's reflecting on that. He sings this song in verse 19, a righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. What's your trouble this morning? you may touch the heart of God this very hour and indeed this very day. 
Sometimes God is intervening in our lives and we are not even aware of it. So let's dive into our text, Luke chapter 7, verse 1. We want to get to Nain, where the widow is, but before that we have to go to Capernaum, which is in verse 1. It says this in verse 1 of chapter 7, when Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now, in chapter 6, Jesus gave lots of instructions, the blessing and woes, love your enemies, judging others, a tree and its fruit, and the wise and foolish builders, lessons after lessons. And so now he has moved from the plains, it seems like, into Capernaum. And so in Capernaum is, you know, we were, those of you that were in Israel with us, you, you know it's a spectacular place. The, the way the, the, the synagogue sits, it oversees the Mediterranean Sea and the winds blowing at that time when we were at, the sunshine was on, it was spectacular. And it's interesting that this place, Capernaum, seems to be the headquarters of Jesus. It's a special place to him. He had moved from Nazareth to Capernaum, and it's there where many miracles take place. The miraculous catch of fish in Luke chapter 5. Peter's mother-in-law healed there in Matthew chapter 8. The paralytic was healed in Mark chapter 2. The woman with issue of blood healed Mark chapter 5. Jesus raised a girl from the dead, Luke chapter 8. Jesus heals a man with a withered hand. And what a remarkable story that is, that, you know, the, it was a setup situation there in the synagogue. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees brought this man who had a withered arm in there to see what Jesus would do because they wanted to condemn, condemn him for doing a healing there on the Sabbath day. And so when Jesus walks in, he sees the man with a withered, withered hand and he just walks right up and he says, is it evil or good to do things on the Sabbath day? And he was amazed at how their heart were evil towards this miracle. But yet Jesus told the man, stretch out your hand and he stretched it out with faith and his hand was withered. Because of these miracles and teachings, there's a large crowd that will follow Jesus and that's We'll see this in our next verses when we goes into name. He has a large crowd walking with him. But before he gets there, there's another miracle that takes place in verse 2. There's a centurion servant whose master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So this Roman centurion, a high-ranking official, a couple of things to note, this man was kind and loving. To have a servant that he was worried about, the servant was dying, and he wanted to do something for that servant. That's unheard of, typically, in that culture. Um, a servant or a slave was a tool, and if that tool was useless, they would destroy him, kill him, and get rid of it. But here, the centurion's heart shows that he was a different man, different mindset. He loved this, this servant, and he wanted to find help, and he heard about Jesus. No doubt, the miracles being presented 
to everybody on, on, in, in planet Jerusalem, in planet Judea, hearing about the fame of this man, Jesus. It's interesting that he has a relationship with the elders, the Jews there. It says there that he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. It, it, it seems that he was a God-fearer. A God-fearer was one who uh, would give their lives to Yahweh and even to the Jewish God and even to some of the customs and culture. But uh, they weren't circumcised, so they weren't a proselyte, but they were God-fearers. And it seems that he's one of those, and so he would tithe on the regular and he gave to help build the synagogue. And so with his position, he asked some of the elders to go and speak to Jesus in behalf of his servant. So a remarkable guy indeed. Uh, verse 6, so Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. And so this centurion was a remarkable man in that the elder said he was worthy. He said he was not worthy. They praised him for building a house of worship. He felt unworthy that Jesus would come to his house. They said he was deserving. He felt himself undeserving. Strong faith and great humility are entirely compatible. I love that about this man. He shows it very well. It's interesting that he knows the culture very well. He knows the customs of the Jews. That a Jew shouldn't be speaking with a Gentile because it would be unclean. It wasn't a law, per se, out of the Ten Commandments, but they had come to that conclusion. And especially going into a Gentile's house would make them unclean. So... He understood that culture and didn't want Jesus to come to his house for that reason. And I love what he says here, continuing in verse 7. He says this, But you say the word, and my servant will be healed. Great faith. Verse 8, For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. It's incredible what he's saying to Jesus. What he's saying to Jesus is that I understand authority. I am one that serves under the Roman Empire. I am under Caesar, the emperor. And when he says to do something, we don't argue, we do it. <laughs> and those under me will have to do exactly what I say. That's part of the authority that has been set up. And I understand that well. And I understand you, Jesus. I understand that your, your claims are, 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 and your works are defining who you are. And you're doing these great miracles. It shows what great authority that you have. And I understand authority. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. That's amazing faith. In fact, so amazing. Listen to what Jesus says there in verse 9. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following, he said, I tell you, I have not found great faith in Israel, even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Jesus was amazed by the great faith that this man showed. 
That's amazing. Jesus was amazed a few times. He was amazed at, at people's unbelief. <laughs> and he was amazed at great faith. And every time I read stories like that, I always ask myself and say to myself, I wish I had great faith. <laughs> I wish I had faith to step out into the sea like Peter, faith to pick up a stone and challenge a giant, like the woman with the issue of blood who reached out and touched the garment of Jesus and knew that she would be healed. I wish I had that kind of faith. Lord, help my unbelief. <laughs> So now we get into our story here in verse 11. This is such a, a powerful story of the woman who will touch the heart of God. It says there, now they're going to travel from Capernaum to name where this widow is. In verse 11, it says, soon afterwards, Jesus went to the town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the town was with her, and when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. So Jesus, God in human flesh, was touched by this woman. Jesus and the disciples traveled about 30 miles south to the city of Nain, he has more than just his 12 apostles because of the miracles and teachings many other disciples are following him. There's an air of excitement and expectation around this crowd. They have heard some amazing truths from Jesus. They've seen, they've seen him perform incredible healings. They want to see what he will do next. As he and the expectant crowd of disciples in their name, they meet another large crowd coming out. This crowd, however, is not joyful and excited. There's not an air of expectation about them, just the opposite. They are weeping and wailing and mourning. They are not following a man who feeds them and gives them life and, and provides great teachings. Instead, this sick, second group is following a dead man. The two crowds meeting at the gates of Nain face off. It's awkward at first. The joyful party recognizes that their excitement is out of place, quickly quiets down, and adopts a grieving demeanor. But it's hard to change so quickly. Some of them are only able to express a detached sorrow for her grief. Their expressions show that they feel sorry for her, but they are not really sorrowful. Many are thinking too bad for her. At least nothing like this has happened to me. I'll just put on my sorry face until she passes. Then we can get on with life. That's how most of us feel when someone else suffers, right? I'll do my duty and frown for her, but I hope she moves on quickly. Maybe I'll go to the funeral and send a card. It's uncomfortable for everyone, I'm sure. They don't know how to act or what to say. A few mumble some polite words about being sorry for her loss. They don't understand her pain. Here's a woman grieving, mourning, destitute, alone. No husband, and now her only son is dead. There's no provision anymore. 
There's no one to provide. Perhaps he spent the night sprawled out on the dirt floor begging God to know why. Why, God? Why? Perhaps she had even the openly questioned why he was requiring her to live any longer on this earth. Perhaps she was terrified of the future loneliness that she would face. We do not know. Hard to know these things. But this we do know. That Savior chose to leave Capernaum, which could have required him to walk through the night in order to intercept the burial procession right before they put the body in the ground. This account firmly establishes the issue about whether God knows and cares about each of us in a very personal matter. It's the timing of it all. Jesus knows. He's all-knowing as the Father would reveal these amazing encounters. I think of Jesus crossing the sea, the Galilee Sea, to meet the demoniac, one man who would be changed forever. It was the one man that Jesus went for. It's the one man that gave his life. And at the end of their encounter, remember the people chased Jesus out and said, you need to leave. And the man said to Jesus, he said, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, no, 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 you remain here and tell everyone the great things that God has done. He was the missionary to that whole region. And he did. The Bible says he went all over the capitalists, all over, sharing about the great things God has done. The encounter reminds me that God is never early or never late. He's always on time. He knows where you're at. He knows the direction you're going. He knows the hurts that you're feeling. And it's that time and that moment in life when God is touched by you and he intervenes. And I love that. It's here before this coffin now. This crowd crying. They're mourning as if there's no hope because there is none it seems. But with Jesus there's always hope. I hope that you always remember that. In your dire circumstance in your in the most difficult place in your life when you think you should just give it all up and say there's no longer no reason to leave. I hope you turn to Jesus because he's there and he wants to meet you. In verse 14, it says this, then he went up, Jesus speaking of Jesus, and touched the coffin and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. What did he say? (laughs) What were his words? I wish that would have been recorded. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. When Jesus saw her tear-stained face as she walked behind the procession, Jesus felt great compassion for this woman. This woman touched the heart of Jesus, but it appears that his compassion came from feelings he experienced long before he just happened to intercede, intercept the burial entourage. He arrived there precisely in her moment of need. Oh, my friends, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still meeting our needs. He still divinely comes in and meets with his people. You know, there are 
scholars out there that tells you Jesus is not interested in your life. He doesn't know you. He set the course of this life to begin there in Genesis, and he's outside just waiting for it to come to its conclusion. But that's not true at all, my friends. As we've read in the scriptures over and over and over, he is involved in our lives. And he wants to intervene. And he wants to give us hope. As the psalmist declares there in chapter 34, he wants to deliver you from all your troubles. Amen. Don't give up on him, for he's never given up on you. Jesus gave back to his mother, this woman, wow, I preached this on a Mother's Day. (laughs) Can you imagine? On a Mother's Day, I I said, listen, what is the best gift that you can give to a mother? (laughs) Here it is. The best Mother's Day gift ever. Jesus gives this man back to his mother and I'm so overwhelmed to comprehend how that played out. Uh, When I go visit my mom, she just kisses my neck and cries. (laughs) My mom, you know, when we were in the mission field and we would have long times, you know, of separation, she she couldn't even speak. She just kept kissing my neck and crying and crying, you know. And, And here, this amazing story Jesus is touched. God is touched by this woman. This woman never said a word. I don't even know if she knew him. The scripture doesn't tell us. But here God is moved by her and brings the lad to her. And she's overwhelmed. She's overwhelmed. What does she do? Does she grab the son and begin to kiss and hug him? Or does she fall at the feet of Jesus? and begin to worship him as God and creator of the universe and praise the Almighty. Verse 16 tells us this, they were all filled with awe and praise God. They were all filled with awe and praise God. That must have been an astonishing sight to those that were carrying the coffin that this man has risen from the grave. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. And then they said these famous words, God has come to help his people. He's the same. Same God of yesterday, same God today. He's come to help his people. It's, life is hard. Struggles are true. They're real. Painful sometimes. You know, as I, Look at back in my Christian life and I think, man, God has been so good and so gracious. We, we, we experienced trials, though. When we were in the mission field, they called us and said that Heather's mother was near death. Painful, you know? And, and we got on a plane and, you know, we, we thank God for modern technology. You can be anywhere in 24 hours now, you know, just get on a plane. And we got back in time to fellowship with her mom to communicate and to talk and to, and, and you know she, she I was at her you know in, in the hospital and I was at her bed and I said to her I, she woke up out of her coma and the doctor said she only has hours if, you know maybe a day to live not very long and she was wide awake and as if nothing had happened 
And she's, she's saying to me, what am I doing here? And we said, well, you, your body is, is dying, your body is decaying, and, and you're going to die. And she said, I don't want to die. And I said to her, your body is required. We're requiring you to die. It's time to meet your Savior. And she looked at me and she said, okay, I'm ready to go. You know what I mean? <laughs> And she's a woman after my own heart because she said, can you go buy me some chocolate and a donut and a drink? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know. And so, I, so I went down and Heather got to spend some great fellowship time. And it was such an amazing time. Difficult, but yet doable. God met us. Same thing with Heather's dad. Eight months later, he was diagnosed with cancer cancer they couldn't five times they tried they couldn't get out of her out of him we were there Heather was there to walk with him and talk with him all the way through it and amazing time of fellowship I remember I came to the house you know and there was this big giant bottle of Jack Daniels which you know three years earlier my father-in-law was all about drinking and all that and so here's a Jack Daniel that was Hadn't been opened up, and there was a few cigars there, you know. And uh, and I walked in, and I said to him, his name was Bud, and I said, hey, Bud, how you doing? He goes, great, great. He goes, you know, he goes, I thought, well, if I'm going to die, I'm going to celebrate one more time. So I bought me a Jack Daniels and cigars, and I thought, and I, I said to him, I go, really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, but then I thought about it. He goes, that's not celebrating. So will you pour it all out and get rid of those cigars? He goes, I just want to prepare myself to meet Jesus. Yeah, life has some curveballs. But Jesus meets us. That was so encouraging for me to hear this young believer. My 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 father-in-law who's only been, you know, a believer maybe three years now saying these things. I was astonished. So overwhelmed by God's mercy and his grace and how he can prepare someone to meet death. I don't know where you're at in your life, but I want to say this. And at some point today, maybe now, you are touching the heart of God. And he wants to act in your behalf. That's how gracious our God is. For all of us, she represents God's personalized ministry. Many of us can relate of God's great timing in rescuing us. For others who have never experienced the miracle of God, you may be one here this morning. You will one day. You will one day experience the gracious, merciful God who loves you and delights himself in you. What a powerful message, you know. I typically would end there and say, let's go home. That's, that message already spoke. <laughs> you know? But it's hard to leave it there Sometimes we are so moved by the miracle for the widow that the son gets missed out in this story. <laughs> when he was dead, where was he? This is a theological question, man. It's deep and it's hard to wrestle with. Was he in heaven 
worshiping God with the thousands of angels and elders and don't know. Was he in the dregs of hell? Crying out for one more time? Don't know. We know that in the Bible there's been times Samuel showed up to Saul. We don't know if it was a demon or if it was a real Samuel showing up. Elijah and Moses showed up before Jesus. So we've seen it throughout the Bible, but it's hard to see someone here. We know that there's no soul resting or soul sleeping. We know there's no reincarnation. You know how we know that? Because the one that died and was buried and rose again the third day to tell us exactly what happens after death, no one qualifies to tell us. No one. Because no one has ever done that. No such thing, Jesus said. It's only two places. This man, I wonder what he said. I wonder if he wrote a book about his... <laughs> Everybody writes, you know, I almost died, I saw heaven's gate, now I'm going to write a book and make millions. You know, anyways. We don't know what he said. I, w- I wonder if he told his mom, Mom, you know, uh, I was there wherever he was at. And I thank God that I get a second chance at this thing. And I want to do it right. Who raised me from the grave? Jesus. All right. Jesus, I'm bowing down to you. For you are the one that brings life after death. He died and now he's alive. What an amazing story. What a second chance. You know, every now and then you run into people that had near-death experiences, you know. When, um, when I went into heart surgery uh, this year, I told my wife, you know, I go, well, you know, if, if, if things go well, I'll be in heaven worshiping the Lord, you know. <laughs> and my wife goes, don't talk like that, you know. Said, you know. If not, I'll, I'll, I'll be here, you know, and then get to serve my Lord once again. And I tell you, when I, when I woke up and saw the bright lights, you know, and, and looking at my, and I, and I can see this was in heaven. <laughs> I responded, thank you, Lord. I get another second chance at this. The doctor said, I probably extended your life 20 years. I said, ah, I wanted about 15, not 20, you know. So. <laughs> but I knew I got a second chance at this. And I want to do it right. I really believe we'll see this man in heaven. Have you, heard, have you ever heard the term dead man walking? Yeah. It's every one of us. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he created... Everything spectacular. There was no winding down entropy. You know, there are dynamics. We see the laws there and we see the winding down effect of everything. But not at that time. Sin wasn't in the world. He gave the first command of the man ever. He said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. The day that you eat of it, you will surely die. The curse Man rebelled against God and now he's received that curse. There's some that teach that there is no sin nature, that you rebel at some point, but 
I believe that you were inherited this sin nature, and this sin nature now is taken over and causes you to sin. And so now, the penalty of sin is death. And everybody in life dies, proven that you sinned. It's easy to, to prove it because God has this very strict standard of the Ten Commandments. We just blow it in a few. Have you ever lied? Yeah. Even little white lies like, how do I look, hon? <laughs> Have you ever stole a nickel out of your grandma's purse? Yeah, that's stealing. Thou shalt not steal. Have you ever lost it or coveted? Oh, we've all failed. We've all missed the standard of God. So we're all going to die. I was in Singapore. I mean, I was speaking to a man from Singapore, him and his wife, and we were at the Great Wall of China. And, and you know, I, I love introducing the gospel. And, and I, so I talked about politics. Then I talked about sports. What kind of sports you guys do there in Singapore? And so he's telling me. And then I go, what about your religion? <laughs> I love doing that. Because it, it seems normal. You're talking politics, then you talk sports, and then you go into religion. What about your religion? Well, I believe in yin and yang. I go, has you, your book that speaks of yin and yang, does it tell you how yin, yin, I'll get it, yin and yang came into existence? And he says, not really. It just tells us how we look at it now, the balance of life. And I go, yeah. I go, do you know that there is a book that tells you how you got here? It's the Bible. And it tells you why you died. There's no other book in the world that tells you why you die. It's because we all rebelled against God. And it was a fun time just sharing with him about why he's going to die. <laughs> You're going to die because you rebelled against God. But God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus and he bore human flesh and he came and paid for our penalty I gave him the full gospel. Tell him that in order to be, to order to have the curse lifted, you must receive the forgiveness of your sins. That's only by Jesus because he paid for them, paid our penalty by his blood. You're dead men walking, but now you can have life in Jesus. Same is true here. You're all going to die, <laughs> you know. But you can change that course by receiving Jesus into your life. It says when you breathe your last here, your first breath will be in heaven. Your last breath here on earth will be your first breath in heaven. Dead men walking. You're still living, so you have an opportunity to change. You can change the direction that you're going. You can have a, a divine relationship with the amazing God because he made it so easy. This morning I just want to tell you that two things. You can have a moment in your life today where you get to touch the heart of God, every one of us. I want to pray for you that are struggling, that are having difficulties. I want to pray for you that God would touch you sooner than later. But first, I want to give you an opportunity for those of you that have never received Christ to receive Christ in your life. 
simply asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins, asking him to be Lord of your life, and believe and receive. And if this morning Jesus is knocking there the door of your heart, and he's saying, come, let me come in, and you want to do that, I want to say a sinner's prayer for you. So is there anybody here that would like to receive Jesus for the first time? Raise your hand if there's anyone here. I'd love to pray a sinner's prayer. Anybody here that needs to receive Christ in your life? Why wrestle? Why fight? You're not here by chance. (laughs) My mom used to invite me all the time to church, man, and I would never go, but there was twice I went. The first time I said, I'm never coming back to church. The second time I got saved. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody here that needs to receive Christ? You're not here by chance. It's an invitation by God. Anybody? All right. We're going to pray for you right now, that you would be touched by God. Lord Jesus, we know in your word it says that we have touched your heart already, that we love because you first loved us. Lord, we see this amazing episode of this widow and how much compassion you had for her, Lord Jesus. I pray right now, Lord, for those that are struggling are going through difficult times that needs a touch of you in their lives. I pray that you would lift them up, Lord. That you would show them that there's more to this life and that they can have life that's found in you, Lord. And even in the the crazy circumstance, they can find peace and joy and life and life more abundantly. And that's through you, Jesus. I pray that you lift up their heads right now, Lord, and that you would encourage them. And for the rest of us, Lord, we'll never forget that day when you met us. We worship you, we praise you, we give you all the glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.